Thanks for listening to The Vine's podcast. The Vine is a church in Austin, Texas, with the simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this message helps you in doing just that. Our scripture reading for today, our sermon today, is going to be Ephesians 5, 15 through 20. Hear the word of the Lord. Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. Always give thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Well, friends, we are in a series called Godspeed. Uh, we started a couple weeks ago. As a recap, this series was deeply informed by two different sources outside of our scripture. They were formed by a, uh, a documentary of the same name called Godspeed about an uh, American pastor who found himself serving in a very small village in Scotland and the many lessons he learned by leaving the American culture by finding himself situated in what he called a fishbowl where he had to be known in a, in a slower speed. And the second is a book by John Mark Comer. He's a pastor in Portland, um, and he wrote this book, uh, The Ruthless Illumination of Hurry. Both of those have been really informative for our sermon series and the sermon today. And so far, we've talked about the problem of hurry. The, uh, the title of that book was taken from a quote um, in this conversation between this one pastor in Dallas Willard who designated the greatest enemy of the spiritual life is that of hurry. Out of all the different things, he feels like hurry is enemy number one when it comes to our spiritual health and vitality, especially in this day and age. And so, so far, we've looked at the problem of hurry. We've considered how the way of Jesus invites us into a different rhythm, one that is unfrantic, uh, one that's situated in a different, uh, different pace that opens us up towards God and towards one another and even towards ourself. And part of this life um, has been designated by four different practices. So we're looking at four different practices, and because this is church, all of them start with the letter S. You know, this is what we do. Uh, and so last week we talked about the practice of simplicity, of actually considering um, the, the, the invitation that perhaps God has provided all we need and that uh, us choosing materialism and consumerism actually uh, closes us off from the life that God has intended us. And so today I'd like to talk about the second practice, which is slowness. Maybe I should start preaching a little slower so that we, we appreciate that a little bit more. Um, so I want to begin with a little history on time. So we've always experienced time, of course, but many historians say that our relationship with time shifted in 1370, and it began in Cologne, Germany. Um, and think about what happened here. This was the very first place that there was a public clock that had a ticking of minutes. Uh, elsewhere, they had clocks that would sound off every hour, but this was the first time uh, where people could actually look at a clock and identify where they were within that hour. Before that, time was more bendable. It was a little bit more broad. It was more malleable. And we still see this at, at the beginning of our church service. 
Start at 10 o'clock, 10.15 maybe, 10.20. You know, it's just bendable. But for, before that time, uh, before that kind of public clock and the, when that uh, really took over throughout the rest of Europe, um, time was not as mechanical. It was more organic. It was natural. And um, in many ways, the rhythms of the days back then were not dictated by dials or alerts on iPhones. The rhythm of life was established by the breadth of a sun going up and a sun coming down, seasons coming and going. Uh, as that author, uh, John Mark Homer, wrote, he said, the clock changed all that. It created artificial time. We stopped listening to our bodies and started rising when our alarms droned their oppressive siren, not when our bodies were done resting. We became more efficient, yes, but also more machine, less human being. Then in 1879, Thomas Edison took this evolution to the next level with his, the invention of the light bulb. And at that point, we officially declared independence from the sun and the rhythms of nature. Did you know that before Edison, the average person slept 11 hours a day before the light bulb? <laughs> now the average is around seven hours for us Americans. So from 11 hours to seven. And what are we doing with all these added hours? Like what are we filling all these hours with now? Well, especially helped by our time-saving gadgets and our life hacks, the answer is we actually are stuffing more productivity in there, more hurry, more distraction. Psychologists and mental health professionals actually have coined a phrase of what has happened in the midst of our efficiency is this drivenness has actually led to a sense of hurry and has led to an epidemic that we're living in that they call hurry sickness. And friends, it's labeled a disease. Here are a couple of definitions of hurry sickness. This is a behavior pattern characterized by continual rushing and anxiousness. Another definition, it's a malaise in which a person feels chronically short of time. This is almost like where the enemy is time itself, right? Chronically short of time also tends to perform every task faster and to get flustered when encountering any kind of delay. Now, the doctor who coined this phrase, Friedman, he saw, he, he was a cardiologist, he saw an influx of the trend of hurriness alongside of, uh, alongside of um, uh, cardiovascular damage and trauma. Like, he was actually seeing that this hurry sickness was affecting our bodies. Now, brace yourself. This was in 1950s. Like, things have slowed down since then, right? And I wonder how many of us if we were to look at what hurry sickness is, how many of us would self-diagnose? So let's do that together. Let's look at a bunch of different identifiers of what hurry sickness is. Don't worry about Googling it when you get home. We'll do it together here in church, right? Here's 10 symptoms of hurry sickness and see if these kind of mark your life. First is irritability. You're surprised by how easily you find yourself mad, frustrated, or annoyed. Next is hypersensitivity. Minor things quickly escalate to major emotional events. It might show itself as anger or nitpickiness, anxiety, or depression. Restlessness. Even when you try to slow down and rest, you actually can't. Stopping actually produces anxiety. <laughs> Workaholism. This kind of goes hand in hand. 
You find yourself defaulting to work and production. Your drug of choice is accumulation and accomplishment, ticking off your boxes. Number five, emotional numbness. You don't have the capacity to feel your pain or other people's pain. Empathy doesn't seem to be natural. Number six, there's an out-of-order priorities. You know you're giving your time, your attention, and devotion to that which ultimately does not matter. But there's this constant sense, this tyranny of the urgent, and your life has a tendency to be reactive, not proactive. Number seven, there's a lack of care for your body. Sleep, exercise, healthy eating are all afterthoughts. Eight, there's an escapist behavior. When you are run down, you turn to distractions as a means of kind of unplugging and recharging. This could be binge-watching TV or playing video games on your console or Candy Crush on your phone. It could be substances, shopping, overeating. All these escapist behaviors help you unplug, but you actually find a negative cycle that's hard to break. Number nine, negligence of spiritual disciplines. As life picks up, that which cares for your soul loses its importance and value. Prayer, reflection, scripture, meditation, time of intentional friendship, worship on Sunday all seem to fade away so easily and quickly. And lastly, 10, isolation. You actually feel really disconnected from God and from others. And as you continue, your life becomes more and more wrapped around your goals and priorities, and you lose the importance of relationships. Okay, so let's check out this list together. And I'm curious how many of these mark your life. How many of these you could check off going, yeah, that's me. Hurry sickness seems to be evident in my life. Now, as I shared a couple weeks ago, this type of living this type of living in a hurried pace is not just um, inhumane, it's actually contrary to the way of Jesus. All these things are not the fruit of a life with Christ. It's not a fruit of abiding and knowing and being led by God's presence and spirit. Hurry, I've heard this said, I think it's so true, hurry was not invented by God. <laughs> and we see that so clearly in the life of Jesus. Trappist monk and poet Thomas Merton, he arrived at this conclusion about modern living. He said, the rush and pressure of modern life is a pervasive form of contemporary violence. I think it's important for us to sit with that word violence. It's damaging. It damages us, our emotional well-being. It damages our connection with God, our abiding relationship with Christ. And it damages our relationships with others. It's a violence, but it's a deceptive violence. And I think pastor and author John Ortberg, he was dead on when he said, for many of us, the great danger is not that we renounce our faith. It's that we become so distracted and rushed and preoccupied that we will settle for a mediocre, mediocre version of it. We will just skim our lives instead of actually living them. The big danger for us following Christ in this day and age is not that we renounce our faith, but that we will just dip every once in a while as we live in this hurried pace. That quote, this quote right here actually 
provokes me to ask the question, am I skimming my way through life? Am I living rushed and preoccupied? Or am I following Jesus in a different rhythm, in a different speed? Okay, is anyone ready for some good news? <laughs> kind of felt all negative, kind of felt heavy. Okay, here's some good news. We actually believe here in this, in this community that following the 2,000-year-old teaching of a Palestinian Jew, Jesus is the surest way to discover the good life. And it's the surest way for us to save our souls. Jesus continues to be the most countercultural and life-saving teacher that is somehow perfectly timed for this hurried pace and this hurried culture. This is our belief. And as we learn to follow Jesus, or as the terminology that we used a couple weeks ago, as we learn to put on Jesus' yoke, his teachings, his way of life, what we will find is this opening up for a new way of being, not only for us as individuals, but for us as a community. I think this is why we want to hear Jesus' invitation over and over again, come to me all who are weary and burdened, come to me all with hurry sickness, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and I am humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Doesn't that just sound like something we were created for, something that we need. I think Jesus would come to us with this easy yoke, a gentle yoke, and say, I want to teach you the way of slowness. I want you to exit the highway of hurriness, and I want, you to, I want to teach you the way of slowness. We have already talked about how Jesus never seemed to be in a hurry. He lived with this highly interruptible posture in life, that he paid attention to people around him while others were distracted, while others did not notice them. I'm even thinking recently about the fact that Jesus had 33 years in this world, and how many of them did Jesus actually use to serve and minister in public? Three. What a waste of time, you know? Like, if the Son of God is only here one time in that form, why would Jesus waste 30 years. Well, the reality is that Jesus was in no hurry. See, Jesus was not here to get the most done. Jesus was here to unfold this transformation that happens at the speed of relationship. I even think it's so interesting that Jesus could have chosen to come at any day and age. He could have chosen to come uh, you know, like 4,000 years ago, 2,000 years ago, as Jesus did, he could have come in the 1970s to stop disco music and save us then. But instead, Jesus chose to come 2,000 years ago. Think of how different it would be if Jesus chose to come today. Today, when Jesus could give that incredible TED Talk, and immediately, instantaneously, around the world, we would hear words of truth. Think of Jesus coming today and having a viral video of a man walking on water and then teaching in front of all these people and performing miracles. And think of how instantaneously it would disrupt everything in this world and people would wonder, who is this Jesus? Who is this influencer? You know, like, <laughs> and how can I follow him? Can you imagine Jesus, you know, speaking at NATO, turning down the Nobel Peace Prize, 
and how the world's attention would be immediately upon him. But instead, Jesus chose to come 2,000 years ago, and Jesus chose to come in a way that was slow. That's how Jesus' kingdom moved, one person at a time, a teaching at a time, moving from village to village at three miles per hour, slowly. A life would be transformed here. A miracle would take place there. That person would go home and tell everyone about it. That home would change. Maybe that village would change. And slowly, this movement of transformation took place. Though spreading of Jesus' kingdom was slow, somehow it has changed our world forever. So I wonder if Jesus and his movement at a slow place, a slow pace, have something to teach us. Part of following Jesus is learning to trust and have faith in that slowness, in that pace, in that rhythm. It's learning to see that our life is created to be different. I actually find it in the petition that we heard from our scripture reading earlier, from a letter written by a church planner to a, a, a city in modern-day Turkey in, in the church in, in Ephesus. This is Ephesians chapter 5. Listen to uh, this church planner Paul's words. He said, Be very careful how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. That phrase, making the most of every opportunity, could also be translated redeeming the time, making the best use of time, making the most of every chance you get. And it's funny, I think when we read this verse in our Western point of view, in our American point of view, I think we're actually led to a, a wrong conclusion. Perhaps when we hear making the most of every opportunity, we are too discipled in our culture to see things, anything other than the fact that making the most means doing the most, shoving the most into that day as we possibly can. It means checking off all the boxes as we can. Um, as my beloved friend Mary Tucker once said to me uh, years ago, she says, my fear is at the end of my life, my tombstone will say, Mary Tucker got her errands done. <laughs> I think it's because we know like, how that is. Like we just live our day going, making the most of every opportunity means I checked all the boxes off the day, I feel as accomplished, and I have this sense of gratitude for another day down. But I wonder if making the most of the time means something different. Making the most means a different value system than what we are used to. The ancient Greeks actually had two different terms for time. Both are drastically different. There's chronos, and then there's kairos. Chronos and kairos. Now, chronos is like this chronological time, the ticking of time every second, every minute. It goes by one at a time. This is how we live our days. We're afraid of, of the chronos of our day, our day coming to an end too early. But there's another way of seeing time, a kairos time. Kairos is this understanding that there's deep time. There can be, we can live our days in our chronos time, and then all of a sudden we can find ourselves slipping into a kairos moment, a moment of deep time where our souls open up. We see what's really important in life. It's like this thin place where we begin to realize, oh, this is what it's all about. 
It's like this awareness of the divine comes over. It's a sense of wonder. A presence of gratitude begins to well up. We know well of Kronos, but I'm afraid that we aren't as familiar with Kairos. And perhaps that is what we need to unlearn in this verse. Be very careful how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. Maybe that idea of making the most is not by checking off our boxes, but by making the most by ensuring that we are pursuing those kairos moments, ensuring that we actually see what life is about. And friends, those kairos moments are not found in hurry. I think hurry actually blinds us to seeing them, to experiencing them. So friends, we need to live not as unwise, but as wise. And Paul goes on after these words to give us an insight as what he saw to be part of the problem. He said in verse 17, therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. It's so easy for us to live foolishly in a perpetual state of hurry. We must learn what Christ's will is. For us to discern, to come to understand what God's will is, we we have to practice slowness. We have to slow down. We have to begin to see and to hear God's will in our life. It's hard for us to discern God's will uh, when we live at a hurried pace. Also, in verse 18, he says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Don't be drunk on wine. Don't numb yourself out. Don't escape into a bottle. Don't run away from this world. I think Paul was not only critiquing the habit of drunkenness in that context, but I think Paul was also wanting to employ these followers of Jesus to be filled with the Spirit, to be immersed with the Spirit, spend time in God's presence, uh, be unhurried with God, walk with Jesus, know his pace, see how he lives, see how he loves, and be filled with that presence. And an unhurried life is not just about our own well-being, though. But Paul goes on, to finish with this, speaking to one another in psalms, like be filled with the Spirit so that you could speak to one another in psalms and hymns and songs of the Spirit, sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, like be overwhelmed with gratitude that you just wanna thank God from your own heart and always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is the byproduct of a slow life with Jesus when we know what it's like to walk in the spirit of Christ. The byproduct is that we will naturally speak blessing to others. We'll be slow enough where we will see opportunities to bless others. We will not only do that, but we will be led into worship and creativity. And ultimately what will happen is we will find ourselves grateful for everything. And do you know what cuts off all of those practices? Hurry. Hurry. When our perspective gets small, gets limited, all those things are cut off from us. Corey Ten Boom, uh, she said famously, if the devil can't make you sin, he will make you busy. Both sin and busyness, busyness has uh, an Opportunity, they have this potential to cut us off from openness to God and to others. So, what if? What if we experiment with slowing down? 
What if we experiment with slowing down so that we can catch up with God? So I don't believe that my job as, as a pastor or our job as a church is to dictate how you should practice your life. I believe all of us have our own following of Jesus, but I also do think there's power in practicing our faith together as a community. And so I would love some ways to take some steps away from hurry to practice Jesus' slowness. Uh, we will email or we put it on our social 10 different practices of slowness. All of them are annoying, okay? Because none of us want to slow down. They're all annoying. But I feel like something has to disrupt us from the pace that we're living in. So I just want to close with a handful of those 10. I just want to close with a handful for us to consider, for us to practice this week. Here are some practices of how we can intentionally slow down to catch up with Jesus. One is begin your day slowly. Set the tone of your day by beginning slowly. Don't rush to grab your phone or to begin your hustle. The Lord is teaching me this right now because as I am 40-something, I have lower back pain. The first thing I have to do is I have to stretch in the morning. And I hate it. It's annoying. I like to get up and get my day going. What I'm realizing is this is a little reminder for me as I do the pigeon stretch and the other stretch. Hey, how about I just begin this day by prayer? breathing, and remembering to slow myself down. Begin our day slowly. I don't pray that you have lower back pain, but I do pray that you will start your day slowly. Secondly is notice the temptation to multitask. I was preparing this message. I was walking. I had an idea. I pulled my phone out as I was walking through the Costco parking lot with a brand new TV and I had the thought about the sermon around being at an unhurried pace and a car almost hit me as I was walking through the parking lot. And I was thinking to myself, I am multitasking so naturally. Man, it is hard for us not to choose to be in multiple places nowadays. So instead, be singular. Be in one place at one time. Seek to focus and be present with one person at a time, one place at a time, one need at a time. Third, show up early to appointments. Show up early to appointments, and with that margin, don't pull out your phone, pray. Pray for the, for the meeting you're about to have with that person. Pray for that need. Maybe look around at that doctor's office. Pray for the people around you. Um, show up early and pray. Uh, fourth is eat slowly and mindfully. We have a tendency to eat on the run, eat standing up, eat walking around. What if we actually sat down? My friend Steve, he taught me to do this. And again, it's all annoying. He said, Mark, before we eat, can we just look at our plate and consider where all the different food came from, the carrot. Where did this carrot come from, Mark? And I'm like, I'm hungry and annoyed. I just want to eat. But for me, there's something about like disrupting our hurried life to actually slow ourselves down and eat mindfully, even eat present with the people that you're sharing a table with. And then finally, fifthly, uh, is to memorize scripture. I know that sounds just like an overt, like a churchy thing to do, but I think uh, memorizing scripture is such a gift for us because it takes time, repetition, slowness for us to do it. And it's not merely so we can recite it, but it's also for we can digest it, we can chew on it. What is this verse really talking about? What, is, what does Christ have for me? And if you don't know where to start, start with the scripture reading that we had from, from today in Ephesians 5. And this is not a hurried, but it's a, a thoughtful, slow, and intentional way for us to begin to be able to uh, consume and enjoy scripture. All these practices, as well as others, will be 
annoying invitations for us to slow down. But so much of this is learning how to be present. And so I just want to finish by just saying the way of Jesus is the way of being present, and Christ is present with us today. Christ is present with you. Jesus is unhurried in your presence. Jesus is not multitasking around the world. He's not distracted or distant. Jesus knows your needs. He hears every prayer that you pray. He cares for you deeply, and I think part of that care, part of that concern, is that we would learn a different rhythm, a different rhythm from our frantic lives. So may we learn the way of slowness, and may we learn how to live at the speed of love.